Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgieff, class of 2022. Today, I catch up with the class of 2012's Alexa Bessie, scientist at Optima and PhD candidate in industrial and organizational psychology at Clemson University. Alexa will share with us how her psychology class with Mrs. Lyman's sparked her fascination about how the human mind works, and now how it has led her to a career of research with cutting-edge technology and developing solutions for clients such as the Department of Defense. Joining us from the class of 2012 is Alexa Bessie. Alexa, can you tell us what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I work as a scientist um, at a company called Aptima. And I uh, uh, essentially, essentially do um, research for the Department of Defense. So I'm a, an external research consultant and provide kind of scientific um, input uh, for customers within the DOD. I was wondering if you could maybe start us off with, um, where did you go once you left WeGo? So I went to a school called Lipscomb University in, uh, located in Nashville. And what was, what was your initial, did you always know that you were gonna go into psychology? Yeah, so I was I was always really interested in psychology, and I, I took a course um, while at WeGo actually um, in psychology. And but when I started at uh, Lipscomb, I really thought I wanted to do something more in the lines of counseling. So um, you know, working more as a, a provider, um, and I was really interested in that side of psychology initially, um, and that kind of all changed. But but that was my initial thought. Now, what was it about psychology? that really first grabbed your attention where you're like, I think I need to know more. Like what, when, when did the, the, the hunger to kind of keep on pursuing that as a, in academics and in your career field? Uh, do you remember what it was? You're like, I just, this is just, this is, this is absolutely what I love to do. Yeah. I think, you know, I've always considered myself a really curious person and, and, you know, there's no better kind of subject for that curiosity than the, the human uh, behavior. And so, um, I've always been, <clears throat> excuse me, really interested in how people kind of behave and what causes them to do certain things or make certain decisions. And, um, you know, got that early introduction while at West Chicago. Um, I took a course by Mrs. Lyman's, who I think is uh, no want has retired, um, but just learned a lot about kind of the different ways in which, um, historically speaking, people have conducted research experiments to study human behavior and was really kind of fascinated um, by that. What was your favorite experiment uh, from uh, from all that? Because there are always some some classics, you know, that that are in that. Do you remember what your favorite uh, experiment was? <laughs> yeah, so there's like the classics that come to mind, like all of like Freud's work and you know the um, the prison and experiment. And I can't, I don't know if I have a, a favorite, but I just remember being constantly kind of amazed at these research questions and and what people were 
kind of trying to discover and, and learn about human behavior and just, just being really curious about um, the, the kind of work that we studied while in class. Yeah, that's that's so great. So, what were so what were the type of uh, what were you, do you remember like what your favorite classes were at Lipscomb that kind of began to kind of narrow your focus that much more in psychology? Yeah, so I, I majored in psychology and I, I minored in biology while at Lipscomb. So I I kind of pursued different ends of understanding um, kind of human behavior, but also like uh, what makes you know people do what they do, health related um, kind of things, and so. Uh, you know, general kind of exposure to psychology, but also like research methods uh, classes that were really interested and in, interesting to me and kind of initiated the path of a more maybe um, technical or more kind of academic pursuit of, of studying psychology at, at a more research level opposed to, um, you know, pursuing a, a, a degree or a career in counseling. Do you remember what your first experiment was that you maybe designed and, and what that was, uh, and, and what it was, uh, what the hypothesis was and what the focus was? Yeah. So, um, probably the first big research project I worked on, um, was taking a kind of neurocognitive battery and trying to, um, update it from a like pencil and paper test to something that could be displayed on um, a computer screen and um, kind of just updating the technology to, of scoring that test to give more immediate results, which it's funny thinking about that now because I that's very similar to kind of the domain I work in at Aptima, which is really like the intersection of psychology and um, technology. But at the time, that was you know something completely you know new to me, nothing I had ever really considered. Um, and it was just, you know, mostly just the first research opportunity that I got to do um, as an undergrad. Oh, that's that's so cool. Is that how like so when you when you had the experiment, like how many people were, um, I guess, tested? And, and when, do you remember what uh, what was like kind of surprising about the results that you found or what was what was the outcome? Yeah. So the study was kind of a classic validation. So we, we had designed this. Um, new piece of uh, this new measurement, uh, new piece of technology, and we're comparing it with the existing one. So we did a lot of kind of do it here and see what your results are, do it here um, on this paper and pencil and compare the results to make sure that what we had designed was a, a valid, uh, a, a new form, but a, a still a valid form of this measurement. And so um, it was my first time really administering a, a test to subjects. Um, I probably did, oh man, it's been a while. I mean, we probably did over 50, you know, uh, assessments, probably closer to 75. And I did a large chunk of those. Um, and the, the hypothesis here wasn't very exciting because it was kind of a, a more traditional validation study, but it was really cool to see something that I had worked on, something that I had helped to create, um, kind of take something that had existed and, and made it into this more updated, more modern uh, form that could uh, score things and be really a lot more of a help to uh, practitioners and clinicians who used this uh, measure because it gave them more immediate results um, than the paper and pencil method did. Wow, that must have been incredibly gratifying to see that it had that that result, that that uptick in in being more concise and efficient. Now, was that your was that would that be something that would be considered like a capstone uh, research? as part of your graduation or was that something that was separate? 
there's just a research opportunity that I pursued um, while, on, while in undergrad. So I tried to volunteer in a couple different labs to really uh, bolster my chances into getting, getting into graduate school. I know I wanted to go for an advanced degree. Um, and so I kind of tried to volunteer as much as possible, uh, both within Lipscomb and then with outside of Lipscomb. I uh, worked at, at an internship. It was one of my favorite jobs I'll, I'll probably ever have. Uh, I worked at an assessment program for professionals who um, had had become impaired due to usually um, either behavioral disorders or, or oftentimes substance use. Um, and so it was a very niche kind of group of people, professionals, usually, you know, doctors, lawyers, um, that kind of, those kind of individuals who were seeking assessment from usually oftentimes like a board or their employer to go back to work following some sort of incident or kind of string of incidents. Was that just for assessment or was it actually to kind of uh, provide a, uh, a path back uh, in such a way? A little bit of both. So it was a very comprehensive assessment. They saw a kind of variety of providers that I worked with. Um, and then the providers made uh, kind of recommendations on what their next steps might be, whether that's returning to the workplace with some sort of assistance or maybe going through a, a program where that's a treatment program or some sort of kind of uh, intense uh, cognitive behavioral kind of treatment um, before returning to the work uh, the workforce. I, so you would, you were probably given the the clientele that was there, you're 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 seeing people that are hopefully on the, their way to kind of recovery. With you know getting into psychology, that you still have to kind of you're you're also have a, the burden of seeing other people in pain and, and kind of getting through that. Uh, how do you, how do you kind of create a, a way to um, insulate yourself or in some ways just kind of know how to best process what the pain other people are going through when you're seeing them in that predicament? Yeah, absolutely. So you, you definitely experience in, in my earlier um, kind of career pursuits, I did a lot more, uh, work with people who were where I was kind of providing more one-on-one -on -one, um, either assessment or or kind of research where they were you know experiencing a lot of hardship um, and it's it's definitely easy to internalize that um, but I think for me it also really motivated me to pursue research to help people um, and so it it almost kind of like I said motivated me. Um, even though that they were going through this immense pain to, to figure out ways in which these things could be provided, resources can be um, given to these professionals, and how can we do better in the future to prevent um, this from happening again, whether that's for the individual that I was assessing or more broadly speaking, professionals in general. And this was really my first exposure to this idea of industrial organizational psychology, which is kind of the intersection of um, psychology and the work. The workplace. That's exciting. So then how, how did you then narrow your choices to go into uh, grad school and continue your uh, research and education post Lipscomb? Yeah, so that kind of experience really prompted me to pursue this idea of working with professionals and, and trying to best support them. At the time, you know, I had maybe come across this idea of industrial organizational psychology once or twice. It, it wasn't really a, a big focus in the undergrad program I was um, at, at Lipscomb. And so 
initially I thought the best kind of way to get there was through clinical psychology. So I was interested in, you know, the stressors that impact people in the workforce. I was interested in which and how stress and, um, you know, work demands can contribute to people's behavior. Um, and I thought the best place to do that, I was initially really focused on substance use, um, was to pursue a route in clinical psychology. So I, I applied for PhDs and master programs following Lipscomb, and I got accepted into uh, University of Maryland College Park uh, to get my master's in clinical psychology, <clears throat> um, which is it's funny kind of reflecting on, on my pathway because it, it really is uh, not, not linear at all. Um, and how I got to where I am today is, is definitely um, interesting when I reflect back on the decisions and, and what I initially thought I wanted to do you know, while I was at WeGo and then while I was in college and, and here I am, uh, you know, 10 days, 10 years later, um, in a, a very kind of different career field. It's, it's, it's wild when you, you do have that kind of um, reflection and in, in looking back in posterity in, in such a way. The, um, so what was, what would you say was, how did you hit the ground running once you got to the University of Maryland? Like, so like, how, did you, uh, did you already know the, 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 what was the coursework like? Yeah, so it was a pretty general course, which was really helpful because I learned a lot. Um, I, at the time, was still very interested in substance use, so I volunteered um, at a Salvation Army assessment uh, center. So people usually were coming in and out of the uh, uh, judicial system. So they either were on their way to either jail or prison or coming out of jail or prison and needed to be assessed. Um, so that was a very different population than working with kind of professionals who were, you know, lawyers and doctors. Um, and again, saw, you know, a tremendous amount of kind of pain and hurt um, in these individuals, uh, most of which not only had, you know, pretty intense substance use disorders, um, as well as kind of mental health disorders as well. Was there a... Uh... Was there a through line between like the the between the clients that you had served before at Lipscomb versus the ones there? Like, did you see like any types of patterns that brought them to um, the same result? Yeah, I think you know it's funny when you look at people who are, are, are at very different points in their life. This idea of just a lack of resources, whether those are um, resources in the workplace, and because they don't have those resources, they you know opt to pursue maybe unhealthy coping mechanisms or, you know, financial resources where uh, people are, are engaging in kind of problematic behaviors because they don't have the things that they need. And, and so you really, I saw, you know, a lot of uh, diversity in, in those kind of groups of people, but the same problems, kind of the same narratives were, were there if you looked hard enough. Oh, that's interesting. So um, what then became the big research uh, of your of your grad school? Yeah, so while I was in grad school uh, at University of Maryland, I was still kind of pursuing this idea uh, of substance use um, at the time. So I was in a program that allowed me to work at the same time. So it was, it was a night program. Um, and I got a job working because I took the first job I could to support myself while in school. I got a job working for the Army, actually. Um, I was at a, a a research center um, directly under the army in a sleep lab. And so, which was nothing I had any interest in. Um, it was, you know, purely, and at least initially, a job to pay the bills while I was in school. 
and I conducted sleep research in a very controlled setting. So this was the first time I had done really um, traditional research where you have a very clean sample of people that are coming in and you're, you're you know, highly manipulating that sample. So the individuals would spend the night in our sleep lab. You know, we would observe their behaviors. We would um, uh, administer tests and <clears throat> things like that. And so that was very different than anything I'd done. And it was in a kind of domain that I really had never even thought about before, this idea of sleep um, and, and didn't really have a ton of interest in it at first. Um, but that kind of all uh, in some ways changed a lot as I, as I continued to work there. Is there anything that we'd be surprised about in what you saw at the sleep lab about human health and psychology that you observed? I mean, I think this idea that, you know, sleep is really important. People are, are coming to more to realize. I think there's a lot of um, advances in, in wearables and, and kind of uh, biofeedback that allows us to monitor our sleep. But we did some pretty insane um, sleep deprivation studies. So keeping people awake, you know, upwards of, of multiple days on end and just watching the, the human body really deteriorate um, without sleep was just really fascinating. You know, there's a lot of famous research that compares a lack of sleep to uh, to drinking and, and you know, your cognitive um, ability to having a blood alcohol level of, of being, you know, drunk. And I certainly, certainly saw that happen um, in these kind of very uh, uh, extensive sleep deprivation studies. Wow. Yeah, that, that I mean, just it, you hear about it, but you were like in the lab watching it happen. So that must have been really just like the, just the raw feedback of seeing that happen in real time. It must have been really wild uh, to have uh, observed. So um, so then uh, so you you finished your uh, your degree at the University of, of Maryland. And but did you stick with uh, the the same kind of field? I mean, because you continued on uh, to get your PhD at Clemson. What was the next uh, phase of, of your of your journey? Yeah, so I at that time, when I wrapped up at Maryland, I was still working in the sleep lab, sleep lab, but I had transitioned into an operational team, which was um, Again, just an, an amazing experience. So as an, uh, an operational t research um, psychologist, I was working predominantly in the field. So I was traveling to uh, different military installations, different bases to conduct uh, field research. So more applied research, getting things out of the lab and into the field. Um, now, because it was a sleep lab, everything kind of had this, um, you know, underlying uh, re relationship to sleep. But I started to see more kind of diverse variables and how that impacts sleep, uh, including things that were, you know, more particular to someone's uh, job demands, uh, their stress levels, um, their cohesion with their teammates. And so I got to see a, a really a, a wider set of um, behaviors and how they impacted sleep and how sleep impacted those behaviors um, in really cool settings. I, I traveled to the National Training Center, which is one of the kind of big premier training centers for the military. Um, I worked with special forces. I got to watch their training um, experiences and just got to see a lot of really cool things that as someone who doesn't have a lot of experience with the military, I don't come from a military family, um, was really, really unique and interesting. And I really enjoyed my time um, kind of doing all of that. Was there a variable that you thought that was like most surprising that you didn't think would be as impactful in the sleep studies? 
I, I think like it was really interesting to see. So we looked at both the like biological variables. So how someone's kind of innate features about them, their, their genetics may impact their sleep and their, their ability to recover after um, maybe sleep deprivation. But also like there's things that relate to, you know, the, the function of their job demands, how, you know, work may, um, may impact sleep. That was always really interesting. So both kind of these like external and internal forces that either helped someone um, have more consistent sleep or better sleep, um, as well as worked against them to, to really impair their sleep and therefore impair their performance. In most of the kind of populations I worked with, um, and, and this is very typical of, of a warfighter, uh, their job demands oftentimes impair their ability to sleep because they're working shift work. Uh, they're you know going on a training exercise, they're deploying, um, all of which kind of come with their own unique um, job stressors and demands that may impact their ability to get a, a kind of normal night uh, night of sleep. Oh, you're right. I mean, just yeah, which which lever is being pulled more significantly in any one of those contexts? Oh, that's so fascinating. Oh, so what what brought you then to to Clemson? So at that point, I I knew I wanted my PhD. I knew I wanted to kind of get to this next level of, of research, and that really required having a PhD. At that point, you know. You know, up until then, I, I thought I wanted to be a clinician. I wanted to go clinical psychology route. That's what I got my master's in. And I started to realize that the things I loved about psychology, this idea of research and working with people um, and, you know, being in applied settings didn't really require, or, or maybe clinical psychology wasn't the best direction um, or best route to go in to, to accomplish that. And so I had worked with someone, um, one of my mentors, uh, when I was with the Army. Uh, his degree was in, his PhD was in social psychology with a large emphasis on industrial organizational psychology. And by working with him, I learned a little bit more about um, IO, which is the abbreviation psychology, and, and how that could actually maybe better suit the things I was really interested in and the jobs that I wanted to pursue. And so um, really my time with the Army was a really good opportunity to refine the, the jobs I wanted to pursue and, and what I needed then to identify to get there. And, and so I then decided to, instead of applying for a, a PhD in clinical psychology, to apply for a PhD in industrial organizational psychology. And um, Clemson was a, was a great fit because the, you know, the advisor that I worked for, he's a reservist in the army. He does um, a lot of research with warfighters as well as other high risk occupations like kind of doctors and nurses and um, people whose, you know, the consequences of errors on the job may be a lot more grave than than others. I was wondering, Alexa, could you could you clarify like industrial psychology like just like like what what would be the best like categorical definition of, of that just so we can get our minds around uh, the, the range of that yeah so io psychology is a really really broad field and and it kind of encompasses a lot so it's, it's a little hard to do um but but it really is the intersection of how uh the workforce and psychology meet and that that looks a lot different so i am what they call like i i focus on the o side of things um, and so that can tends to be a little bit more about, um, you know, organizational culture, organizational health, uh, this idea of, you know, maybe stress or um, mental health and how that in, impacts outcomes like performance and, and stuff like that. 
the I side of the house is more like what you would see at like HR. Uh, there's probably a little bit more overlap with, with HR there. Testing, measurement, uh, doing performance evaluations, uh, the, the tools that you need to do that, that stuff well and, and ethically. And that kind of falls on the I side of the house. So when you're pursuing your PhD and uh, you're, you're at Clemson, like, is there a little bit more room to explore like the, a bigger question in setting up what your ultimate research is going to be? And, and what was the, uh, the thesis uh, of your doctoral um, work? Yeah, so I felt like Clemson was an amazing experience for, for so many reasons, and, but, it, but primarily that I, for the first time, was in a program where I felt like this was the best fit. Um, and so I was really intrigued by all the classes I took. I learned about uh, you know, occupational health psychology for the first time, which is more closely, um, it's usually underneath the umbrella of IO psychology. And it's this idea of how like mental health may, or, or physical health kind of interacts with psychology in the work, workforce. I learned more about teams and how teams work together. There's a, you know, a, a essentially team science that exists that, that, you know, specifically studies teamwork. Um, I got to, you know, dive into organizational culture and things that impact culture. I was really intrigued by this idea of psychological safety, which is um, the ability to kind of speak up and voice questions or uh, report errors, especially in domains of high risk, like, like warfighters, but also, you know, doctors and nurses. Um, And so, yeah, I, I really felt for the first time at, at Clemson that I had a lot to explore, to figure out. Um, my, my thesis examined um, how certain social support or, or social cohesion could impact how sleep, um, so I, I kind of pulled from my previous um, experience with the Army, uh, but how sleep impacts performance. So this idea that you're going to experience sleep deprivation, you're going to um, experience kind of a strain to your sleep as a result of a, of a um, in this case, a training exercise. This was with um, special forces. And if you have highly cohesive teams in terms of your social cohesion, so your social support, and highly cohesive teams in terms of how well you perform a task together, does that resource um, kind of diminish the demand that that sleep deprivation is putting on uh, on your performance levels. Um, so essentially, could, could social cohesion um, and, and task cohesion act as a buffer? What then becomes, from your research, what became the more significant binding element that made that social cohesion best like, and, 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 and really kind of amplified the result that you wanted? What, what did you find? Yeah, so we, we found some interesting results and I honestly was very surprised when you kind of put everything in the model itself. So I, I looked at it as a, as a moderator, which is kind of looking at as a, as a buffer between sleep and performance. But when you put everything in the model itself, you know, cohesion had a, a, a large, um, kind of was a large driver of the relationship. So which kind of suggested that how, co- you know, how cohesive a team is may you know, not just buffer, but may overcome certain elements of stress like sleep deprivation. And so I thought that was really interesting because, you know, the military can't change sleep deprivation, you know, that 
they can to a certain extent, but in many cases they can't because these people are going through training. They're they're you know executing this um, this uh, you know goal, and they're going to be sleep deprived, much like they'll be sleep deprived when they do something similar when they're deployed. And so you can't really change that, but you can you can offer more resources in the form of you know more cohesive teams. And so it's just figuring out how to um, improve cohesion with teams. Uh, as a way to improve a resource. Now, just maybe like a step back a little bit uh, in terms of like just the maybe a, a philosophy of of your work. What's your favorite metaphor of the mind uh, that maybe you find that kind of guides your view and your vision of of what you do? Yeah, I think I think like at the end of the day, you know, there's this there's this. Um, theory in, in, psycho- in, in IO psychology, um, it's called the conservation of resources theory. And it's this idea that, um, you know, more resources leads to, you know, better things and, and less resources leads to worse things, which is a, which is a very simplistic kind of theory. But if you apply that to people, um, I think it does a really good job of understanding this idea of give and take with resources and demands uh, and how a lack of resource can, resources can really um, hurt people, whether that's in the context of work or outside of work, if you kind of think back to my, the, the earlier work I did, um, and, and giving people more resources is, can be really beneficial. Um, and I, I really like that. I, you know, it kind of, in my mind is this kind of, uh, like seesaw where, where these things, things either balance each other out or they can really weigh someone down. Um, and I, I like to use that as a, a, a backbone theory for a lot of the work that I do, because I think it's a really simple thing to understand, but it really um, is relevant to a lot of, a lot of the work and just kind of human behavior in general. That's, I, I love that. That's, that's such a cool setup for that answer. I, I, I like that. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a side question uh, for that. Um, what was it like being on campus with, uh, really just a, a, an incredible kind of student environment. And Clemson was dominant in, in football. It must have been kind of cool to be, you know, a part of a, a, a school spirit uh, of something like that. What was that, what was that your experience like that? Yeah, it was a really, it made grad school really unique. And I think um, it, it really kind of created opportunities to bond with my cohort and with my program um, I, the, the university that I went to for undergrad, um, didn't have a football team. And then Maryland's team when I was there was, uh, notoriously, notoriously bad at football. And so it wasn't really a, a, a pivotal point of my, of my grad experience at Maryland, but at Clemson, it was an opportunity to spend, you know, game day with my, with my peers. Um, they, we kind of organized tailgates and hung out and it was a, a really cool opportunity to feel more embedded in this um, kind of school culture than I did that I did at uh, Maryland um, and, and Clemson. Yeah, it, it really is just such a unique experience um, seeing being a part of a school that takes football so seriously. I, I imagine I was uh, similarly, I went to NIU in the 90s and uh, our, our football program was not very good. So it was <laughs> hard to generate that level of, uh, of, uh, of uh, fanfare. Did you have to defend your thesis? What was that process uh, like, or was it just like what? How did you how did you get the news that you that you made it, and what was the process of, of getting your your PhD? 
Yeah, so I, I proposed and defended my thesis and that that was on my way to my master's. So I, I picked up another master's while at Clemson um, and, and uh, I took my thesis or I did my thesis to, to kind of complete that process. For, the, for a PhD, you then um, usually, usually complete a, a comprehensive exam process, which looks very different at, at every school, but it's essentially um, this large test. Sometimes it's written, sometimes it's oral to demonstrate to your faculty members that you understand the content um, of, of IO psychology, you know, based on your program experience. And so it's very intensive process. Um, you spend months and months and months studying. And so I, I completed that process, um, let's see, spring of 2021. Um, and then after that process is over and you've passed um, and you kind of find out months later, it takes months to get results back. Um, that you can then start your dissertation process. So I actually haven't graduated with my PhD yet. I have proposed my dissertation, which is a completely different um, research kind of uh, process. And I will hopefully be defending it within the next couple months. Ah, that's exciting, exciting. So, but in the meantime, uh, you, you found your way over to a company called Optima. Uh, how, did you, how did you make the connection there? And, and what's your work like there? Yeah, so my first summer at Clemson, I wanted to get some more applied experience. And so I applied for a, a handful of jobs and, um, uh, you know, got an offer from Aptima and started there as an intern in summer 2020, which was a weird summer to start as an intern, yeah. um, as you can imagine. Um, but had a, you know, a really positive experience and I felt like I had found a company that really was was similar to the work I was doing in the army, which was this idea of applied research um, in different military units, um, doing kind of a variety of different um, you know research questions. And so um, I started there. I, I loved it. Um, I knew that it was a company I'd want to consider working at in the long term. I went back to Clemson. Uh, you know, wrapped up my my uh, thesis, wrapped up my ma uh, master's degree, wrapped up my comprehensive exams. And then started there actually full time um, last summer. So I've been been there for about uh, probably a year and some change at this point. So what's a typical day like at work for you? Like, so you I mean, do you uh, do you have an ongoing department or project that you're working on uh, that you can disclose? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, I am. Uh, I work on a variety of projects, which is one of the things I really love about Aptima um, is I, <clears throat> I, I come with a, a technical expertise to a, to a company that has a bunch of different, you know, kind of tech, technical expertise. And so it is technically a kind of a technology company, um, but, but it works with this idea of kind of human-centered engineering um, and um, trying to figure out how to get people and technology to work together, which I think is really cool. And I'm, I therefore represent more of the people side of the house with my degree. And so, yeah, I'm on, I'm on multiple projects ranging from, you know, different uh, branches. So I work with the air force, I work with the army, um, I've worked with the Navy before. Um, and so that's really fun too, just kind of, you know, each branch has its own unique kind of approach to research. And I really enjoy getting to have to know different customers and working with different um, kind of points of contact uh, to, to answer kind of research questions. What, 
thinking about like what you've seen so far, you've been dwelling in the, the, the space of, of human development of the mind uh, for so many years now. I was wondering if you had any kind of observations about like, what do you think teachers could do better? What would you advise us to like, you know, if you just did this one thing, you'd get this back in return. Like, what, because what I, mean, I, I would, I would love to know like what, what would be your uh, observation and, and uh, expertise on something like that? Yeah. So I'll approach this question in, in kind of two different ways. I'll approach it first from just like a, a general standpoint. And I think this idea, this kind of concept um, or construct of psychological safety that I brought up earlier, I think that's really integral to success um, within any sort of situation, whether it's a work workforce, whether it's a military unit or it's the classroom. And it's, again, this idea that, you create an environment in which people feel comfortable to, to speak up, to uh, offer their opinion, to maybe say, you know, hey, I did this wrong. Can I, how do I do it right? But it's this idea of like, of individuals being very vulnerable with their peers and with their, their sort of superiors um, in a way that's really healthy and allows, uh, it fosters kind of growth, it fosters learning. Um, and I think that can be really applicable to the classroom. That's great. Now, conversely, what would what's the best thing that students need to hear uh, about that? Yeah, so I think um, whether you know in the approach of psychological safety and, and this idea of of you know social support or, or cohesion, um, I think making sure that people feel comfortable in these environments, you know, it, it comes from everyone. It's it's not just one person driving that. Um, it's really, it's an idea of culture more than is um, anything. And so it really is a group effort to create an environment that fosters kind of learning and creativity. Is there anything that still surprises you about the mind uh, that in your research, like what, what is it that kind of continuously kind of still feels fresh to you as you're uh, pursuing all of your various different hypotheses and all of that? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of things surprise me about the mind. Um, I'm really interested in this idea of safety. Um, and so how workforces can enable um, their employees to be more safe, to engage in more kind of safety, safety promoting behaviors. Um, and I, I think when you get to the, the field or the research surrounding safety, it's really interesting because um, you know, the certain individuals or groups of people can have really similar safety behaviors and safety safety ideas, or really dissimilar. Um, and and some people are more prone to following the rules and reporting things when they should, and some people, are, you know, are the exact opposite. And it kind of can create scenarios of worst worst case scenario um, when you have these kind of groups of people who. Um, Aren't, aren't as concerned with safety. And, and I think once you add the intersection of, of how demands can change people's um, willingness to report uh, safety problems, you know, if you're, if you're overworked and you're overstressed, you may overlook um, uh, this, this one thing that's one feature of your work environment that may not be safe. Um, and then that can lead to kind of catastrophic consequences later on. Yeah, that's, that's, that is so true. I remember reading about different studies about um, parole boards and that they found that 
a lot of people, depending on when the parole board would be issued, would be less likely if it was closer to lunch because they wouldn't be scrutinizing the details because they were hangry or the sugar was off or something like that. And that is catastrophic if you're the person that's waiting to go, you know, be reintroduced back into society. So yeah, that's, that is so fascinating. Um, You know, you've been a student, you know, you've done undergrad, grad school and PhD. What's your favorite study hack in terms of like, you know what, this is, if I do this, this has been the best return on investment of my energy and effort uh, as you study. Because I, I always like hearing how professionals who have ascended so far into their career, like how do they retain and grow uh, as they learn? Yeah, I think something that has helped me is to, and you know, sometimes you don't have as much control over this, but is to pursue these ideas or these concepts that that interest me and try to find a way to make them as relevant as possible in, in these kind of domains that I'm interested in. And so if you can think of examples that apply to the work that you do or the work that you want to do um, and understand concepts in, in the context of those things, I think it's really helpful to, for not just for, for learning or, or memorizing something for a test or for a paper, but for, to make you a better, um, you know, practitioner in the real world, putting in context, um, you know, very academic concepts, but, but, but taking them out of the classroom and into the real world. Oh, so great. A couple of things that it just, it would be interesting to, to share with, uh, with students and everyone that would be listening to this. Like what's, what's your favorite like book that you think that would be good for our students to maybe read? Like, you know, this gives you a sense of like, uh, that's probably an accessible text that really gives a sense of like what it's like to be in the field of psychology and, or is there a TV show or film that you think that gets it right as well? Yeah. So I think um, a book I can recommend that I really like given my kind of experience with um, team science is uh, there's a book called teams that work. Uh, the last name of the authors are Salas and, and Tannenbaum. And so that's a, a favorite. Um, my, my husband really likes that book as someone who manages people um, and, and is kind of manages teams. And so I think no matter whether it's a sports team or a, or a work team, um, you know, we're, we're oftentimes working with groups of people. And so um, I, I really think that's a great uh, applied book to for people to, to read and to learn from and especially if you're interested in, in this idea of team science or, or io psychology what do you think your next move is where do you see yourself in like maybe five ten years um that's a great question so uh hopefully i have my phd five years from now hopefully i have my phd five months from yeah, now you'll have that a couple months you're good yeah <laughs> um i i really enjoy where i'm at i really enjoy uh you know, being a scientist and doing research in the military domain, I would love to continue that work um, and to continue exploring ways in which, you know, I can support warfighters. Um, and, you know, I, I'm really lucky for my job. I get to solve really hard problems. And um, I really enjoy, you know, they're, they're problems that are probably five and 10 year problems, but I enjoy being a part of those discussions. Um, and um, I'm just continuously challenged by the work that I do. Ah, that's so cool. Well, 
this has been so great. I'm so uh, thankful that you were able to share part of your afternoon uh, with me for this interview. And I always like to end the interview with uh, my guests to give uh, tips for success for current wildcasts. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I, I have two like key tips for success. The first is that like much like my path, like your, your path forward is not going to be linear or, or it may not be linear. I guess for some people it might. Um, and that's okay. I think being intentional about figuring out what you like and what you don't like and being agile to, to change that, um, to explore new options and to be open to this idea of uh, pursuing things that interest you, even if they're not what interested you five years ago. Um, you know, there have been a lot of closed doors in my life that have landed me where I'm at now that I'm so thankful for. And so it was not always easy. It was not always the way I wanted it to go, but um, here I am in a career that I love. Um, and I'm, you know, so very grateful for all the experiences that I've had that have landed me here, even if they didn't make sense at the time. My other kind of tip for, for advice or for success is um, the job that you, that you think you want now, uh, you know, it may be something you're interested in later, but the job that you end up having may not be something you even know about. And so something I was so surprised at was the amount of jobs available in psychology, you know, above and beyond the kind of traditional ones that you usually think of. Um, the ways in which I'm working with technology now is really incredible. And that's not something I would have ever considered, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago when I was in high school. And so um, you know, be forward thinking, be forward leaning when you think about your future and the ways in which the world is going to change the job market. It's going to change uh, the career fields that you end up in um, and, and be open to that change. Um, it's been, again, really good for me to, to lean into that and to, to be a part of a, a tech company um, and just all of the benefits that comes with that in terms of, you know, preparing myself for, for a job five, 10, you know, 20 years from now. Alexa, thank you so much. I'm excited to to hear when you finally get the uh, the good news about uh, your, the thesis of your uh, defense of your thesis. Uh, it's just exciting uh, what you're working on, and uh, really thank you so much for your time today. This has been great. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Help spread the word about We Go Places podcast by sharing this episode with one other wildcat. As always. Find past and future episodes on Apple or Google Podcasts or any other platform. Just search Wego Vox. That's Wego V-O-X. You can also stay current by following us on Facebook at Wego Places Podcast or on Twitter at Wego Places.